I think you know of a project to research time travel, I said, refilling my briefcase with the DVD discs and shirt. I think you will tell someone about me and about what I've shown you today. I think they will contact me. For reasons I'm not sure of, they need me, they need this evidence, and they will complete their part of the bargain. The equation of evidence for time travel and time travel itself by sending me back in time. Schliemann was smiling now. It was a castle made of snowflake crystals, this tale I'd brought him. Or at least, that's what Schliemann wanted me to think he was thinking. To do what? He said slowly. This fictional research organization is going to send you back in time to do what? To prevent Emily Torrance from being murdered, I replied. I didn't stop with Schliemann. Later, I also talked by phone with the head of the physics department at UCLA and a female tech head doing research for a project out of USC. I also placed an ad in the Times Classifieds. I have proof of time travel, it read in the personals. Call me. After leaving Schliemann, I drove back to Hancock Park. Beatrice was sunbathing in the backyard, wearing a baggy yellow one-piece bathing suit. Beneath the irregular dimensions of her aging body, I saw the torso of a once beautiful woman, young and vibrant. Careful, I said. Don't stay out in the sun too long. She looked up at me from the tube lounger and lifted her sunglasses to get a clear view. Sunblock glistened on her skin and her hair was matted with sweat and held in place by a purple stretch band. Are you back from vacation in the twilight zone? She said with mock concern, her voice barely rising above the noise of insects emanating from everywhere in the yard. Signpost up ahead, I said. Next stop, Willoughby. What? Obviously, she didn't recall the famous Twilight Zone episode where a harried man gets off a commuter train in a town called Willoughby and discovers a stress-free, idyllic paradise. Only later does the audience learn Willoughby is a funeral home. What? Nothing, I said. Everything's great. I sat down at my computer and placed myself on autopilot. I began typing, and two hours later, completed a reasonably involving story about Emily Torrance, her twelve paintings, the mystery surrounding her death, the fame that had built slowly around her work and biography, and how the Getty had invested sixty million dollars in acquiring six of her paintings. She is an authentic California talent with a capital T, I wrote, and everyone should avail themselves of the Emily Torrance exhibit opening next Tuesday at the J. Paul Getty Museum. I emailed the story to Edgar. Two nights later, at 3 a.m., a man standing at the foot of my bed said, Wikey, wikey, in a grating Cockney accent. I woke up. I half expected Louis to announce I would be his first solo murder victim, but this man was no Louis. He was a rangy six-footer wearing an expensive suit the way it should be worn, with a tie certainly more expensive than any clothing I owned. He looked emaciated, not starved, self-deprived for health and stamina reasons. His teeth were extraordinarily long, as were his face, ears, and chin. He held a Glock handgun aimed directly at my brow. Get up, get dressed, 
Don't make a big deal out of this, the man said. I needed an extra moment to decipher every other word he spoke owing to his accent. I carefully, slowly rolled out of bed. What took you so long, I said. 